The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I am one of your trio of co-hosts on this 52nd edition of The Other Side of the News. Yes, this show has just completed its first orbit around the sun. 52 weeks. I'm speaking to you this early morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you may be situated on the other side of the earth. As the dawn chorus starts to warm up here, hopefully many of you are relaxing into your evening eager to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I'll soon be joined by co-host and producer Kinthia, together with co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll, who are speaking this evening, as usual, from the infamous wheelhouse near San Francisco. This show is entitled Homer Simpson's Eldersea. Since Homer Simpson began his journey in 1989, this cartoon odyssey continues saying do through 34 series and some 750 episodes. This epic is currently set to play well into and beyond 2023. Most people perceive this cartoon sitcom on different levels and may relate to certain characters. Some see harmless escapism, while others may see a parody of their own life. However, some see precognition. Looking through another epic cartoon window on humanity, the Corona-19 saga, which is also predicted by the World Banks to continue well into the middle of the second decade of the 21st century, that's 2025 for anyone who may have had a challenging day, it seems statistically more people are now manifesting strong reactions and or are dying since the start of the mass vaccination than during the entirety of the alleged pandemic itself. This is no hearsay. There are government websites that clearly show this data. Take the UK's yellow card report site, which has listed the key COVID-19 vaccination brands with their combined numbers in the UK in excess of some 400,000 adverse reactions and some 500 deaths to date. Oh, and there's this little caveat in the small print that says these numbers represent circa 10% of the actual figures. Now, what exactly does that mean? Is that Emily Dickinson's slanted way of saying 10 times more? Speaking of yellow cards, Keith, please play sound excerpt A. 
I am, in fact, a survivor of the Holocaust. And the first thing I have to tell you that even then, nobody told us it was done for our own good. We all knew what was happening. And when I think today, when I see people march, I think of the Yellow Star, which gave everybody liberty to aggress me, to, to insult me, to call me a carrier of disease. Oh, my love. To spit on me, even. I love you. I would like to tell you that this is worse. It is more insidious. It concerns more people. It is, it is, there is a hypocrisy in the public narrative that is absolutely unbearable to say that you're doing this to protect the old. I would love to die in a state that gives me freedom to live in I have already outstayed my welcome by many years, and my life expectancy is probably not great, but I would gladly exchange this for the lives and livelihoods and happiness of generations that come after me to live their lives as I have been. To have masks, to see people defile their children with masks is, is something totally unbearable to me. These are the knowing and profound words from a 93-year-old Holocaust survivor, courageously speaking at a recent anti-lockdown protest in the UK. She highlights the hypocrisy involved in protecting the elderly at the cost of the rest of humanity. She says she would prefer to die in a state of freedom than for everyone to live like this. Her strength shines out from a natural mask-free face. Long may she continue to shine. We are, of course, not the first to suggest that history has a propensity to repeat itself. However, this evening, we intend to explore how and why this may appear to be the case, and in particular, why the mainstream media, TV programming, art, fashion, popular culture, music, and of course, the movie industry never fails to seemingly illustrate the path humanity invariably takes. One of the main points of interest to establish is which comes first. Does humanity simply follow the script programmed into the media? Or does humanity retrospectively define its perception of the reality we inhabit in terms of the vocabulary established by said media? This variation of the chicken and the egg conundrum is fascinating. Did Matt Groening et al. predict Donald Trump to become POTUS? Or did Donald Trump gain the first spark of this idea from watching The Simpsons and then made it his great mission? Was the method in which the World Trade Center towers came down in 2001 influenced by the buildings that fell in the backdrop of the 1999 movie Fight Club? Or did we acknowledge the falling buildings in the Fight Club after the three towers made their free fall on September the 11th? Or are we avatars being increasingly tricked away from our souls by the minority, perhaps? Always simply living in a virtual reality flooded with selective information and censorship akin to the Matrix model. This is a very rich subject to explore 
and is one which relates to the perception of our very existence. Some say words are reflections of our thoughts, and yet words can also be vehicles to change the thoughts of others. So how many of us are even aware if and when we are transmitting or receiving, or both? I, for one, am very vigilant of the information I allow into my environment. For this reason, I never randomly listen to the news or any other broadcast or programming. I carefully select the information or media based on the authenticity of its origins with a view to seek the truth. You may notice this to be a more healthy way to live, leading to a more intuitive and clearer perception of reality. And after only a short time, your powers of discernment grow more acute, leading to filter out more bullshit. Ultimately, this hones your focus rather than unconsciously taking part in sequential self-fulfilling prophecies. I would suggest the majority of humankind unfortunately lives with a faux perception of free choice. Few may directly agree with this reflection, while most may be triggered into repeating the very mantra them they themselves have been programmed with. This projection onto others may remain invisible to the projectionist for years until they finally acknowledge and own their own reflections. As a temporary measure, many create a patch which can build up layers of band-aids in time. These patches are worn by most of us at some stage in life. However, the smart ones remain focused on learning from and diffusing each incident that gave cause to adopt the patch in the first place, maintaining a healthy intent to return to a patch-free state of normalcy. How many times have you met a specialist in some field only to later realize they themselves began their journey by trying to solve the very issue they are now to some extent qualified to cure. The truth is we are all on a journey and this is never more evident than today in the advent of this second year of unjustified lockdown protocols bearing the symbol of subservience by useless mask wearing, the hypocritical antisocial distancing, the dissection of our family ethos, the strangulation of the world economy and now the mandatory experimental mRNA mass injections, all under the excuse of this alleged invisible killer virus. This is time for humanity to be smart, to write the script rather than simply follow it. It is time to avoid the sirens and to return home despite the odds, like Odysseus, to remaster a humanity that Homer and we can all be proud of. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com, click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and to listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last seven days, we have once again been inundated by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. 
To discuss and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available time, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our guests and previous co-host, Andrew Curry. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. So this week, wow, what a week, right? It's kind of the same here in California. People are still behaving pretty much the same way. They don't, they don't seem to be catching on, not too bright. But, you know, the world is in an incredible state of turmoil. We have all kinds of things going on in the United States. We have this, it's this incredible issue with the border, a completely avoidable situation that has now turned into an absolute disaster. And uh, there's still deniability. I mean, I, I was listening to a press conference today, and actually the press secretary, she snapped at the reporters for actually asking relevant questions in regards to this. So everyone's getting a little testy. We have various false flags. Today we had a really interesting one. Uh, we had a, a car around the Capitol building, uh, the fence around it. And um, supposedly it killed one officer and the person. But it was really interesting if you look at the videos it was some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. And I'll just be just really blunt. This was completely a false flag. No EMTs would put someone on the gurney and have their appendages hanging over the side, just bouncing around, draping. And then they're supposed to be giving them CPR with one hand as they're running along with the... I mean, it, the whole thing's ridiculous. It's, it doesn't even look real at all. Nothing about it. Terrible actors. So we're seeing a lot of that. I could go into why I think that's all happening, but it's pretty obvious at this point that we're living in kind of a... We're down the rabbit hole pretty far. So, and then on the international side, you know, we know that the, uh, the Evergreen, the famous Evergreen container ship, actually got freed up, but uh, it's moored in uh, Bitter Lake. And there's a whole bunch of things. I find that it's really fascinating because of where it's also located geographically in the uh, area of where the Israelites left Egypt and went across the desert and the... the um, the Egyptians followed them, and they basically uh, boxed them in between Mount Sinai and the Red Sea there, and that's where the Red Sea parted, according to the Bible. Well, it's really interesting what's happening, all the, all the parallels with that right now. It's absolutely fascinating, I think. So this ship has been moored now. It's going under inspections, and there's a lot of controversy. I don't know how much is true and not. What I'm hearing is that they're refusing to surrender the black box. Uh, basically, there's the there's same thing. It's like a black box. So people can relate to that idea that records everything. They have the crew under house arrest. And according to sources that I've heard, that both the U.S. and the Russian Navy special forces are boarding the ship. So I think we're far from done on that story. And I've been watching it very closely. I have my ideas about what's going on there, but um, it's not done. That's for sure. So that's all going on. In the meantime, the pandemic. Yes. Oh, boy. Uh, they're having a really hard time keeping that story straight. Here's another great one for the records. It turns out they did a news release on the uh, ramming of the car at the Capitol. The only problem was they released the stories and they went into multiple uh, sources that said that they had confirmed it, but it was 18 hours before the event. Yeah, so back to the pandemic. So this week, uh, Chris Whitey, I think that's correct, in the UK, has now said that they're going to downgrade the COVID-19 to a flu. 
fascinating. At the same time, they're trying to push through vaccine passports. I'd say that narrative is kind of falling apart. And the reason it is, is because I looked up on the CDC site, and in the 2019-2020 flu season, they had 38 million, 38 million cases of flu reported. But in the amazingly amazing, in the... <laughs> In the 2021 flu season, they had 1,822. I kid you not. Okay, so there's obviously some kind of problem because somehow this year that all got resolved. And actually, I had a really interesting uh, video conference with somebody who wanted to prove, they wanted me to prove that I was right and that they, they don't have the same viewpoint. So they called their doctor and I was on a video conference and this all came up. And I asked the doctor that, and the doctor's answer was, well, it was because we, we did mask and, uh, you know, social distancing. So when I countered her with the, uh, the idea that aerosols travel 27.3 feet versus six of social distancing, she didn't have much to say. When I talked about the efficiency of uh, the mask, she stuck with the mask idea. I asked her what she advised her patients to do in order to stay healthy through this, and she said, wear masks and social distancing. Nothing about nutrition, nothing about lifestyle, nothing, nothing, nothing. I actually asked that question three different ways. So she was getting a little testy with me. Well, she got really testy when I brought up the stuff I'm gonna talk to you guys about, which was, I haven't talked about this in about six weeks, is stuff from the CDC, the, um, the bars. I think it's how you say it, it's the Vaccine Adverse event reporting system. Fascinating, really fascinating. So we talked about this uh, about you know, a month and a half ago. So I looked it up and I, I wanted to see uh, in the previous 10 years, so from January of 2010 to December of 2020, what was the death rate from vaccines? So what I put in there was that those dates and just all vaccines and what the death rate was. So it was 2000 496 people. Now, I'll point out to you that many drugs have been pulled off the market for four or five people dying. So this is 2,496. So I divided that by 10. This is a 10-year period. And so that gives me 249 annual deaths per year. And um, so then I decided to do the first three months when the vaccines had been released. So that would be the first three months of this year. 2021. So I looked at that number and I multiplied it by four to get a 12-month cycle. So I'm trying to make it apples to apples here. So I had a 1,890 times four, which is 7,560. So that is an increase of 3,036%. Pretty staggering. 3,036% increase in the death rate for vaccines since these vaccines have been released. I'll also say that with the uh, all adverse effects that they have reported, just the whole the whole basket of them, uh, in the ten year period previously, it was five hundred and seventy two thousand and thirty three, and I divide that by ten. Obviously, that's five thousand seven hundred and twenty annual symptoms. Again, I did it for this, you know, since we've had these vaccines released and. The number is 163,748, which is a 2,862% increase since the vaccines have been, these COVID-19 vaccines have been released. 
And what I will say about that with all the research that I've done, and we've had guests that have talked about this and we're going to go further into it, is that that's only the tip of the iceberg, guys, because the long-term effects of these, we don't actually know, but we have a pretty good idea since none of the studies have made it through uh, the third phase of animal testing because all of the animal participants die. And I know enough about RNA and how the immune system works to know that this is bad news bears. And there's no off button on this. So we're looking at something. Another thing that's really uh, disturbingly fascinating is that highly vaccinated areas are are precisely where they say these new strains are coming out of. So we've got a a big problem here. Um, But those numbers are all, by the way, from the CDC. They're on the page. And uh, Kinthea has been kind enough to also create a video on how you can actually go into the VAR system and uh, use the data. It's not, it's not very user-friendly without an instruction video, but we provided that under my links in there. I also put up a really fascinating two-and-a-half-minute video that I would really recommend everybody watch. It's a, a guy, Robert Welsh, delivers a speech. It's from 1958, and it talks about the... Uh, destroying the sovereignty of America, but it actually, in this case, could be for the entire planet. It's well worth two and a half minutes, less than two and a half minutes. I also have another really good one, um, my item number two, which is how one man took down America, and it's John D. Rockefeller, and how we ended up in the allopathic medical system and the AMA like we have it today. A lot of people don't know that story. It's really important to understand that when we're looking at our stuff. And then I'm not trying to totally promote my links, but I do have really awesome links this week. And the third one that I would really like everyone to, to take a look at is, uh, it's, is History Repeating Itself. It's a history of the uh, 1918 Spanish flu. And there are so many corollaries and so many things to look at in this. There's great documentation. And it's not particularly long either. I don't know. I think it's about 17 minutes. But basically, when we were talking last week on the show, we were saying how the the minority isn't particularly creative. And you can certainly see this in this video about the 1918 flu, because they're using the exact same playbook with pretty much no variation at all, except that they show you how to make masks online instead of sending out pamphlets. That's about the only difference. Again, you know, Fauci had written that paper which, you know, he wishes he never had, I'm sure, but he wrote that paper on the uh, 1918 flu. The real reason that people died back then was from wearing masks. They were not getting enough oxygen. They ended up with um, pneumonia. So uh, I think that's about enough run on for me. How how about you, Cynthia? Well, I'm receiving reports from all over everywhere. This has been an amazingly busy week in terms of events happening around the world and also locally. And I'm doing all I can to keep my balance. That's what I was talking about last time. And the, and the uh, schisms in my family are, fortunately, they're being discussed with love, but they are pretty heated at times, I have to say. I'm really amazed at what's coming up because I feel like you know, we're in the Easter week. For those who are follow the Christian tradition, this is the Easter week. And Friday today is Good Friday. And then we have three days when Jesus was in the tomb. 
and then Sunday is Easter. And I'm watching all of these global events happening and things behind the scenes in terms of what the military is doing. And I'm having the sense that we're looking at the rising, if you will, of consciousness in each of us. So just as in the Christian tradition, Jesus rose on Easter, the Christ consciousness in each of us is working through. And what do I mean by Christ consciousness? I mean by that core of your being, that divine essence, however you want to name it, that source of your life. And when you breathe, the very nucleus, the very core of your being, however you want to name that, is coming forward in consciousness. And Revelations talked about false prophets and how these would be trying times. And I personally, I do feel we are in those times where the questions are so heated or so pointed or so charged that each individual, each of us is having to go within and and determine for ourselves what is and what isn't. And it's an amazing journey. And while I do think that there are dark forces that are trying to suppress us, I think that actually it's having the reverse effect that our consciousness we are naturally free beings. We're energy beings. We're free beings. And so the resistance is coming up. I don't think that they're going to load us up into those cattle cars like they did in World War II. I don't think we're going to go for that. But it is a question there. It does seem when you look around and you look at the vaccination concentration camps that they're putting up in Canada and the way they're restricting movements in Australia and the way they're forcing the populace to be vaccinated in Israel, you wonder, well, have we lost it all? Are we really going down to that place where we no longer have our freedoms? Little by little, they've been stripping away our freedoms. And the analogy that's frequently used is like putting frogs in water and slowly starting to cook them, you know. So little by little, they've been warming it up, warming it up, warming it up, and we haven't moved. Many of us haven't moved. And now it's to the time like either you make a move to jump out or it's over. <laughs> it's over. And I'm holding the vision that there are enough of us who are willing to break out and be free and claim our freedom. And just as that 93-year-old was saying, these times are worse than it was during World War II. You know, many of us never went through that, but we will break free. We will. So it's break time now. You're listening to The Other Side of the News and our wonderful guest is Andrew Curry, who began this show with us, and it's called Homer Simpson's Odyssey, and we'll be back after the break. Well, I think you're looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globaloni's efforts to 
move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency. You're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West, and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on, I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda. And the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globaloni is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the, the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight, but there are already uh, I think some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. Welcome back to the other side of the news. This is Kinthea. My co-hosts are Timothy Saunders and Annette Driscoll. Our guest tonight is Andrew Curry, and the show is called Homer Simpson's Odyssey. Andrew Curry began his artistic career as a community public artist, working with neighborhood groups to create murals in schools and community centers. As a graphic designer and illustrator, he serviced small to large Canadian companies. For the past decade, he has worked as a storyboard artist and concept illustrator in film and television and in commercial TV advertising. Andrew has a Bachelor of Arts from the University of British Columbia, a diploma in graphic design and illustration, and a master's in art therapy. And Andrew was one of the driving forces that helped to create this show, The Other Side of the News, and you hear his voice in the intro. Andrew, are you with us, dear? So happy to have you back. Yes, I am. Thank you very much, Kinthea, and hello, Tim, and hello, Annetta, and hello, Keith. It's great to be back, everybody. Good to have you back, too. 
Tell us a little bit about what's been going on for you. As you said, I think in the past, Kenthea, life has a way of going on. Here in our province of British Columbia in Canada, we're just above Washington State, and I live, you know, like a couple, three hours away from Seattle, Washington. Yeah, we experienced the lockdown last year as we reviewed and in on the show many times and then we sort of slowly began to open up a little bit in the summer and and actually our schools opened up so you had a free choice and whether you could uh put your kids back in public school or private schools or whatever or homeschool them and most people tend to put their kids back in school there's been a few you know things that they've in the high school level they had um the high school kids wearing masks in hallways. And the funny thing is it's it's um, incrementally gotten more restrictive. Like we went from not wearing masks, you know, doing the social distancing s- silliness. And now just the last few days ago, we are officially in our third wave here in British Columbia. So mm-hmm. they've been able to gin the numbers up again and get everybody scared. And meanwhile, everybody's, from what I can tell, is just fine. Uh, I do not believe again that our you know, hospitals are overrun and um, the cases may be up. But again, remember, we have one case or one supposed case of COVID-19. And I believe it extends out to at least 14 people. So or so- somewhere in that range. So, you know, it's false numbers. This is a, a health cl- health crisis based on statistics and overhyped falsehoods. And, you know, we've been down that road. And I know you guys do that constantly. But now they're having kids as young as grade three wearing masks in class yeah so i put a stop to it myself and i know i don't i I know we don't want want to hang in this spot for too long but i i reached out to my youngest son's teacher and said hey the edict coming down from the province is pretty clear here that they want to support mask wearing it doesn't say it has to be mandated but they're fiddling even with their words and and then i finished up by saying in my email i said um my son actually has a history of um, asthma, not not severe, but he has had a history of it in the past. And I said, for him to have a face covering for hours and hours on end is just not a good thing. So they quickly said, OK, no problem, no problem. And they backed off. So he's the only one in his class not wearing a mask. And I asked him, I said, how do you feel about it? And he says, great. He says, some kids come up to me, and say you're lucky. And I said, well, I'm not lucky for some of the conditions I have, you know, like the issues. But he says he understands and he's a tough little kid he's the kind that he's he's a fighter first when he was first born he was born by cesarean and when i came into the room you know when my wife was lying there and they were stitching her up and there my little baby boy was over in a little box wiggling i could just see him swinging his fists and and they were monitoring <laughs> him so closely Kinthea, like they were putting mm-hmm. needles in his because he was a bit premature right mm-hmm. and he was kicking and punching at those nurses and, until my wife finally said you know that's enough that's enough blood <laughs> blood test so he's a tough little nut and he's and the kind of guy he? he's nine he's nine. nine okay and he can put up with people either coming after him for not wearing a mask because he can stand up for himself. And that's what we need, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we need. And just as you guys have been mentioning is that we need, we need adults mm-hmm. <laughs> who could behave like my nine year old son and have a backbone. But yeah. What no. does he say about the other kids? I mean, how is it for them? Um, they all dutifully wore it the first day that this so-called mandate came down and it just, it just continues on. Oh, that's another thing. My year, this past year, 
has literally been a recovery year. I cannot like they allow film and you know as you know I'm a storyboard artist by by trade here and um, they allow filming. They bend over backwards for filming, TV shows, movies, commercials. Now they have to take tons of tests. All these you know all the staffers, all the crew. They're testing all the time. They got their masks on. Inside, outside, doesn't matter. They're in an open field. They're wearing a mask. I know because I'm given production um, images like of, of setting sets, you know, settings like it could be an open space. And there they are wearing their masks. But I'm telling you, they are they are pushing advertising. They are pushing pop culture. They are pummeling it in. And I, you know, it's it, my my older son. Funny enough, said, Kenthea, you know. Dad, for all your um, standing up to this, you could win a gold medal for sheltered in place. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're always constantly working in your studio. And I said, (laughs) things haven't changed much for me. And and now everybody has to be on Skype or Zoom to have their meetings with me. I used to complain because when I had to go downtown to talk to directors and go through boards, I thought, why can't we just do this over the computer? I can hold up images in in the little camera and off we go. So... So my point is, is that there are different parts of our society that are able to keep functioning in terms of commercial uh, and endeavors, and one of them is film and television. It's it's absolutely fascinating, and it you know really leads into what we're talking about tonight. Is what is it about all this content that we're being pushed? Uh, here's another little um, tidbit for you. You guys, when I mean, you you ran out of time in the first half hour to talk about even skim the surface of what's going on. And yet my wife told me the other day that she was listening to the radio to some, you know, very popular Vancouver station. And the commentator or the DJ comes on and said, oh, people have nothing to talk about these days. And when she told me, oh, yeah, when she told me this, I was floored. I said, are you kidding? I should have did like a little advertisement for the other side of the news at that point. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's amazing. And um, uh, it's been a really, really busy year. It's been a very, very frustrating year. It's been a very, very um, – lots of joy. I've met so many people. You know, I, I do um, co-host with Robert Morningstar on the Morningstar Report on the Sunday afternoons and on his other show, the Right Stuff Radio uh, show on Monday nights. Um, that's on Freedom's Lips. Uh, and, you know, for me on Fridays, it just – the timing didn't work out uh, just because so many things happen on Fridays. So that – that's why I had to exit. But uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for asking and having me back. Well, let's segue into the topic because yeah. no one could speak about this better than you, I think. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> There's a lot of great people out there. And I have, I, you know, when I was putting this together, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I feel so overwhelmed. But, you know, one of the first things that came to mind for me, and I think where a lot of this has started, although I believe it started a long, long time ago in terms of um, predictive programming, this idea that, you know, Easter eggs are planted in in popular culture, whether like Tim mentioned music or, uh, you know, even clothing design, um, even graphic design. It's very interesting. We can talk about that a little later. I have some examples of that. But one of the ones that really popped up for me is a show that came out uh, very briefly, actually. It was... um, it was called The Lone Gunman, and it was a, a little adjunct show that came off of the American science fiction drama, The X-Files, which ran for many, many, many years and is probably, you know, out in syndication even now. And there and some movies, you know, spun out of that. 
And the lone gunman, so as we know with X-Files, it was a, a, a Chris Carter creation, uh, an amazing show. It was about these two FBI agents, one Mulder, who believed in all things conspiratorial and aliens and, and all these kinds of weird things. And then Scully, who was the doctor, the medical doctor, and his partner, who you know was always skeptical. And whenever anything would really happen, she was had her head turned the other way, although she was involved in many situations and she, in fact, you know, had many many stories to go forward but out of that were these three characters called the lone gunman um there were three three guys uh richard langley these were their their stage their their names in the show uh melvin frohickey and john byers john fitzgerald buyers which I, which i found very interesting and they had a recurring role in the series where they sort of came on oh and by the way the x-files was initially filmed here in vancouver like we have a very very busy film industry here like i said we make a lot of con- a lot of content here in this place um and anyways so their role was they were these conspiratorial guys that would have all these different angles that they would bring to Mulder and Mulder actually uh you know read their 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 publication they had a newspaper called the lone gunman which originally was called the magic bullet newsletter which was a a direct reference to um uh, John F. Kennedy's assassination and the idea of that bullet that you know went, went all over the place and killed people. <laughs> um, so they got a show called The Lone Gunman, and it ran between March the fourth to June the first, first two thousand and one. It was only outlasted thirteen episodes, critically acclaimed, by the way, but for some reason it just wasn't very popular on TV. Now they had a show. And it was their pilot show. And if we go to my number one, um, my number one, it's called um, AC, The Lone Gunman, and a 9-11 prediction with a question mark. So tap on that. So if you go to the other side of midnight.com, go to the show banner. It says um, Andrew Curry and then Homer Simpson's Odyssey. Oh, I love your title, by the way. I can guess that was Tim. And I do have a lot of things to say about that, actually, because I do believe we are in the return of 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 Homer Simpson's journey, but anyways, if we go my go to my number one, and you tap on that, and I created a little storyboard from this pilot episode, which is just sort of towards the end, and it's the climactic conclusion. Basically, it's this terrorist situation has happened, and a plane is being remotely controlled to drive into one of the towers. Of not of of the uh, one of the twin t- towers in New York, so you can look at the images and and see it, and um, you know they build tension and they have like a digital plane. You know it's all in the dark. It's very dark images, but and we we get shots coming from the cockpit and the you know and and the uh, pilots, and then you get a shot of one of the lone gunmen, and they're frantically trying to basically deprogram this this um. This program that's sending the plane in, and at the very last second, uh, they 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 crack through, and they the plane pulls up over the towers, and and everything's fine. But it was very interesting because this, um, yeah, it came out in March, like I said, March the fourth, and then guess what happened in September eleventh? We had. 9/11. I mean, it, it was—it's an extraordinary show. It, it you know, it, it, like how did how did that happen? I want to read you 
from a uh, let me let me read you a little something here. This is from a, a website called realitydecoded.blog. And this is uh, – it's very short, and I actually know a few of these people that are being quoted here. The Lone Gunman TV show predicted 9-11 but also stated that the U.S. was starting wars for political, political gain and money from weapons sales. The Lone Gunmen are a trio of fictional characters, Richard Ringo Langley, Melvin Frohickey, and John Fitzgerald Byers, who appeared in reoccurring roles in the American television series The X-Files and who starred in the short-lived spinoff The Lone Gunman. The first episode aired on March the 4th, 2001. The eerie scenes of the lone gunman first shown in the U.S. on March the 4th, 2001, were witnessed by TV viewers across the world. Now listen to this. Down under, Australian viewers watched the dramatic scenes of the Boeing 727 passenger plane hurtling towards the World Trade Center just 13 days before 9-11, as it was broadcast in Australia for the first time many months later. To them, this was an even stranger and staggering event due to how fresh it was in their minds. So the plot was a computer hacker takes control of a Boeing 727 passenger plane and flies it towards the World Trade Center with the specific intention of crashing the plane into one of the Twin Towers. All of the work of a powerful rogue group within the government whose plan was to put the blame for the World Trade Center attacks on one or more foreign dictators so they can then bomb and overthrow them. I'm not reading newspapers after the 9-11 event. I'm reading what the plot line of this show was. The primetime media was massively absent and reluctant to address the storyline of the pilot and its parallels to 9-11. This unto itself is really, really crazy. Now, I'll get, get, just read a couple quotes from a couple of fellows. So Robert McLaughlin is a director of photography. I've, I've, I don't think I've worked with him directly before, but I have seen his name on our local list of um, um, film guys. But he was the director of photography on The Lone Gunman. He had words to say, too. Quote, it was odd that nobody referenced it. In the ensuing press, nobody mentioned that 9-11 echoed something that had been done or had been seen before. This was one of the director of photography on the show. Christopher Boylan stated, that's another name I'm aware of. He's another fellow in our local union, of uh, film and television union. Rather than being discussed in the media as a prescient warning of the possibility of such an attack, the pilot episode of the Lone, Gun Lone Gunman series seemed to have been quietly forgotten. And the last one, Frank Spotnitz was one of the executive producers of the Lone Gunman. He said, I woke up on September the 11th and saw it on TV and the first thing I thought was the lone gunman. But then in the weeks and months that followed, almost no one noticed the connection. What's disturbing about it to me, you think as a fiction writer, that if you can imagine this scenario, then the people in power in the government who are there to imagine disaster scenarios can imagine it too. So I wanted to share that with you guys. I just find it, I think this sets up so much of what we see moving forward from that time, you know, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, two decades, and the, and the restrictions that happened in the United States and the, the alert that went all over the world. Yes, it happened in the United States, but as I've often said before, so many crucial events, so many moments of history, you know, are always tied into the United States because that's, that's the reigning power. Well, has been, hopefully still to a degree. And at least it's mind boggling. In, well it is Cynthia and, and um yeah and I, I uh, yeah and I have a clip 
I would like um, Keith to play. I know we're coming close to the to the break, but I want to make a point, and I want to preface this clip before he plays it. This is from the end of the pilot. It's a it's um, the, the 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 terrorist act has been thwarted, and Byers is coming out actually with his father, who is an insider. So he's a government insider. He knows who these people are that have done it, and Byers is excitedly saying. Dad, we can bring this – even if we don't bring it to the FBI, we can reveal who these people are. So, Keith, if you don't mind playing that. We can't get to the FBI. We'll go public. With your testimony, we can break this conspiracy wide open, bring Overlord down, the whole operation. Dad, what is it? You're a brave man, John. You're not going to testify. You're going to let them cover this up. They almost killed me twice. They won't fail a third time. My silence will keep me alive. And you? I know you and your friends are fighting for the American dream. Just don't expect to win. So what he said at the end is that, you know, you're fighting for the American dream, but just don't expect to win. Now, I know that, I mean, I'm in Canada, so we're always the, the you know, the, the younger brother or younger sister of the United States of America, the great country of, of Lady Liberty. And I know that we can be rather myopic sometimes, especially in North America. We, you know, we're pretty loud sometimes, maybe not so much in Canada, but, you know, some people could say that, you know, we're we're myopic in, in our thinking, right? But I believe that this idea of the American dream is is a human dream. I believe that dream is something that even especially now with this whole as Joseph Farrell would say, plan scamdemic, is taking away that dream from every single one of us on this planet. And um I have such a fondness for um, your country and my country. I'm really disheartened of what, what, what's happening here in North American Journal. Did you know that in Quebec is the only jurisdiction in North America that has a curfew, a curfew at night because of COVID-19? It, it's unbelievable. People are arrested, fined, and treated really poorly, even beaten up. This That's is happening. Like Australia. Yeah, it's happening, Cynthia. And and I heard that there are like concentration camps for for those who don't want to cooperate. In Canada, yeah, we have they have these they've refurbished these hotels. Some of these hotels are actually owned by Chinese billionaires who have direct linked to the Chinese Communist Party. So make your connection there. And these hotels are you when you return to Canada. This is not everybody, not people who have high, you know, so-called important jobs or delivering things or belong to the medical community or even politicians. But only only Canadians that go abroad for whatever reason, and they have to pay over three thousand dollars Canadian of their own money to spend three days in what they're calling quarantine hotels. 
you have to come into Canada. You, first of all, you can't fly without a, without a, a negative COVID test anyways. But now you have to take another test, wait in this hotel at your own expense. And if you do show up positive, then you're whisked away to an unknown location where nobody can know who you are or no, know where you are if you test um, I mean, negative. like, what's the crime, you know, really? Exactly. Unknown. Oh, Cynthia, it's unbelievable. And then if you test negative after those three days, then you can quarantine at home. No, no, no. We have it set up here, and it's happening. And that's why this idea of liberty of the American dream or of a human dream is absolutely critical to hold together. And I hope tonight that we can, you know, dig a little bit more into these very, very strange synchronicities Absolutely. or patterns <laughs> in the matrix because they're there. And I, I prattled off for almost 20 minutes here, Kintia. Sorry about that. Well, you were giving us an insight we don't often get. I don't, I never heard of the lone gunman, let alone the pilot and the significance of it. I mean, we've seen some things happening with the Simpsons cartoons and uh, South Park and now you're bringing in another one that was even before that. Well, I hope that I know we're fast coming to the break, but I hope that after the the break we can talk about it because I have a, a one more thing I'd love to set up because it gets even creepier in my mind if what I'm going to present after the hour is true or after the top of the hour, I mean, um break. And let me let me just tease it out. So there is a pattern maybe that's there that that not only do these major events that you know happen to be taking a lot of lives not only do they come at a at a at a certain nexus point you know according to somebody's schedule but there might be the hint of the sacrifice of a star of celebrity before the event is initiated and I'll, and I'll cover it when we come come back Wow, that's a real teaser, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've heard of a lot of sacrificing going on, but now you're mentioning someone who's a public figure. It kind of makes sense. It really does, actually. I see where you're going. So you have been listening to The Other Side of the News, and our amazing guest tonight is Andrew Curry. And the show is called... Homer Simpson's Odyssey for a very good reason. And we are on that journey with him. My co-hosts are Annette Driscoll and Timothy Saunders and myself, Kinthea. And we are exploring the correlations between the, uh, you might say, fiction, whether it's uh, movies or literature or even art, and our current events and what's happening and how far-reaching this is, how long this has been going on, some hidden master plan, some very dark, nefarious master plan, it seems. And why are they giving, these, giving us these clues? So we'll be back. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Kaufman, Natural Healing Consultant. Welcome to the other side of the news, where they're open to hearing the truth and take it seriously. The first thing you got to look at is the methods, like nothing else matters, because that's where they describe the experiment. So then you can decide 
if what you can conclude from the experiment, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's really, really important because, you know, they make false claims and people don't understand how to use statistics and all these things could be misleading. What I notice that they do now is they put the method section at the very end. And in some papers, it's in a separate document that's like an addendum. So in other words, they just present the, the results and conclusions and an introduction section, and nobody looks at the methods. But that's the most important thing, because if you don't know that, you don't actually know what they did. Because, you know, there's a lot of art to experimental design. And, uh, you know, some people can be very clever about it. Some can be very elegant about it. But there's also like a many ways that things could be fudged. And there's books on this, right? Like one of Bill Gates' favorite books, How to Lie with Statistics. Then, you know, you have the John Ioannidis article, which is one of the most highly cited papers where he says more than half of all published research is false. Right. So, mm. but, but how many scientists, when they go to read a paper, say there's a 50% chance that this article is false. So I better read it really carefully. Right. They don't do that. But all this clinical research, it's really just, it's really marketing. It, yes. that, that's what it is. It's not actual research. With this the vaccine trials, you know, it, it's just, they basically designed it exactly perfectly to show what they could say you know that bogus 95 percent effectiveness uh that's the the relative risk reduction of having a test and it's not even the overall risk reduction would be like 0.4 percent but they describe it that way it's a statistical trick where they could say 95 percent and they also defined the outcome and then they had to wait seven days after the vaccine but all the people who got sick within that seven days didn't count you know all mm. kinds of uh tricks why. they're 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 experts <laughs> at this they know yeah. they know what they're doing and and it's really hard to even figure out what they're doing welcome back to the other side of the news and tonight's show is Andrew Curry. He's our guest tonight. And the show is Homer Simpson's Odyssey, which is very apropos, especially with what we have going on. Most certainly, the entire planet appears to be on this adventure. We'll call it that. So I have, I do have all kinds of questions, but I know, uh, Andrew, you wanted to pick up, you had an idea here that you wanted to share with us. Um, and you, you intrigued us before the break. So could you continue with that? Yeah, and I'll I'll be quick about it. Um, here it goes. So, it's um, in my items, my number three. It's called AC History Changing Events and Sacrifice. Now, this is something I picked up on. Actually, it was a, uh, I think she's a she was a she's a store owner out of Ontario. Um, her name escapes me, but I remember during the beginnings of the pandemic, the Canadian media were making a big deal about her. Not a big deal, but making a side deal about her because she was going on about how great stars are are basically ritually sacrificed before sort of a major catastrophic catastrophic event happens so if you just tap on my my show poster i'll take you through it so um my number one is about Aaliyah. she now she was a an american singer dancer model songwriter uh sort of revolutionized 
R&B and hip hop uh, back in the, I guess it was uh, 90, late 90s, I guess. It would have been mid, mid 90s when she came to prominence. And she died. Uh, she died in a very tragic plane crash uh, with eight members of her film crew. They had just been filming a video for one of her, I guess it was an upcoming song and video uh, called, I believe, Rock the Boat. Um, and they were coming out of the Bahamas and some for some reason the plane just started lost altitude and then crashed and she died tragically and that was on august the 25th 2001 now it later came out that her pilot might have been high on coke or something like that it's just crazy stuff there's a whole bunch of rumors about her she you know she was married very early to um rk uh i guess he was another one of these um these hip hop guys and and there was rumors that you know she was groomed by him and by 15 they had gotten married and all this so there's a lot of stuff swirling about her but the bottom line is she was a very prominent figure and in in the sort of entertainment industry and she tragically died well less than 3 weeks later we get 911 we get this 911 event and it's like well Okay, I don't even know if anybody at the time was making that kind of, kind of connection, but this this woman from Ontario, and I apologize for not remembering her name, she she sort of started to talk about that event, and then she started to talk about January the 26th, 2020, when we had Kobe Bryant, who, with his along with his daughter, and I believe some other folks, uh, took off in their helicopter and basically crashed in the side of a hill in some bad weather. It was, it was fog. Now, it was well known that Kobe Bryant got around Los Angeles. Now, Kobe Bryant, of course, for those that don't know, is a famous basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers. He played with Shaquille O'Neal, won a whole bunch of championships, an amazing player. He came into the league straight out of high school, and he was incredible, so he didn't even go to college. And he had finished his career, and he was launching into, I felt an even more intriguing part of his life. He was starting to uh, be a publisher of books, these really interesting books, and he was doing documentaries. I believe he even won an Academy Award, you guys. I, I may be mistaken on that, but he was doing some incredible things. And he died. He died. And then literally a few months or a couple of months later, we get the WHO declaring a worldwide pandemic. Now, I want you to go to my... my uh, come in a little closer and you'll see this cartoon from it's a it's an adult cartoon called the legends of chamberlain heights and it was from november the 16th 2016 or it might have been 2017 and it was a like it was part of um one of these sort of more adult orientated animation tv shows tv stations and in this particular episode kobe bryant's helicopter crashes and he's holding his two trophies and these three little kids are asking hey you know what can i i'll, I'll hold your trophies if, if you want us to help you out and then his helicopter blows up and he dies so, so there was a big a buzz about this that he that this was again another one of these predictive programming moments that his death was predicted years before it happened now you might be asking well andrew okay so there's two moments that uh, a major star you know died and okay i guess there's a parallel but I thought about this and what this this woman researcher back east had been, you know, kind of going on about. And I quickly looked at um, 
the Vietnam War. And I, I went, okay, when did the Vietnam War start? And it said November the 1st, 1955 to April the 30th, 1975. So I, I did a little Google search and said, well, who very famous in 1955 died in an accident? Well, James Dean. James Dean died in September the 30th, 1955, in a tragic car accident. He, he was a well-known, um, you know, he loved to race cars, and he was basically, I think he was either returning or going to a race racetrack, and somebody basically turned into him almost immediately, and I think he veered off, and he died. He, he crashed, and he passed away. And I thought, okay, well, that's three, and, you know, that doesn't really prove a lot. So I, I thought, well, maybe it's something more recent. So I looked at the... Um, First Gulf War. Okay, the first Gulf War, I thought, well, the first Gulf War began in August the 2nd, 1990. And I thought, well, you know, who may have passed away there? And I couldn't really find anybody. But Gloria Estefan, you know, famous pop singer at the time, had a horrible accident, which she almost died in. She basically, I think she even broke her neck. And a truck turned into her touring bus she was at the height of her career and it was a terrible crash and she almost died and that was in march of 1990 well a little bit after the invasion in the gulf we had another death and that's stevie ray vaughn he died in a helicopter crash on august the 27th so again i i mean how far do we, you know, you, you dig down this rabbit hole, Anetta, and you can find all kind of connections, but it's very curious. Like, in this circumstance, was Gloria Estevan supposed to be the one to go, and somehow it was averted, and then somebody was put in her place? Because, I, I, you know, it, you, some, someone could make a science out of this and go and research this, and I'm sure you could find out all kinds of connections, but it it's it's a weird idea, I know, but... We're talking weird ideas tonight, and um, I don't know. What do you guys think of this, or what do you think of it, Annetta? Well, you know, there's the clinky-dinky, coincidenty thingy, <laughs> right? I Absolutely. mean, especially I was inferring a little bit when I was at the beginning about what's going on with so many things. I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, like that is really funny. They say, oh, there's not much going on. Oh, yeah, mainstream media, you know, they don't. You know, Donald Trump left office, so now nothing's going on. I mean, <laughs> they lost they lost their object of the set obsession, and yeah. now there's nothing going on. There's more going on than ever was going on when he was in office. And if you start going down these rabbit holes, they're endless. I mean, I know. I mean, Kendia's like I think concerned that I I spend you know so much time actually, you know, sniffing around these rabbit holes. But speaking of rabbit holes, I mean, just the white rabbit thing. Uh, you know, all the connections, the white rabbit, everything from the way the, uh, you know, the evergreen situation, the way the, uh, the waters look like a, a rabbit, you know, from this aerial view, all kinds of things. I think that would be a really interesting topic to pursue because I do think they do exactly that. I wanted to talk actually about this whole process of what we're calling predictive programming. I don't know. I call it disclosure or notification. My understanding and and tell me what you think about this. But my understanding is these people, let's just call them the minority, like and that's Timothy's name, I think it's pretty good, uh, is they have to tell us what they're going to do to us before they do it. There's something, and I've heard both things, and I think both may be right, 
if indeed we are dealing with these people that think sacrifice is, you know, a good thing and you know, let's call it what it is. It's a sat- they're satanic ritualistic cults we're, we're talking about here. And, you know, they have a thing called chaos magic. And if you look up chaos magic and you look into it, and I have, um, you know, a lot of this, it, it has to do with all of this creating chaos and creating these sacrifices. And they also have to give notification. And the reason is because their belief system is somehow, if we, get, if we tell you what we're going to do, even though it's cryptic and you have no idea what we're actually telling you, that's okay because we told you. So you know, yeah, we are, we have indemnity to all karma. Interesting idea. Mm. So yeah, I think we see this all the time. I mean, I I remember Andrew way back when we were talking. It might have been it might have been when we were just talking about actually getting this show off the ground, and uh, that Simpsons cartoon about the feline flu. Yeah, well, we talked about it. I mean, I remember back, you know, over a year ago, we were yeah. talking about it because it was absolutely dead on. And uh, there's so many of these, you know, there's the one for The Simpsons, this, you know, with the evergreen thing. And oh, yeah. Can having, you explain that? Annette, can you explain that one? Can you do it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, so there's a Simpsons um, episode where they, someone calls the, the police and they say there's a burglary or something and there's a there's something stuck or a problem and they take the thing and they say they say well it's you know whatever evergreen avenue this evergreen thing i can go down that rabbit hole forever and that's really fascinating yeah disturbingly fascinating but anyway yeah there's this evergreen and so then the guy starts showing it on the map and he's waving his arms around and he literally like draws out these circles <laughs> just like the gigantic uh, phallic symbol we saw drawn on the Red Sea, and he says, and there's this blockade here because you know there's this water, and we have to you know, go around this way. And he's explained this whole thing on this map. And as you look at this map, there's an eerie similarity to to what this is. You know what what happened. And and I and I also I haven't researched a lot, but I know that Matt Groening is actually um, he is a high up Mason. And, and this keeps coming back and being a theme, too. So, yeah, there's there's tons of them. I mean, I think The Simpsons have a lot. The um, Certainly South Park. And I have lists and lists and lists of movies. And, um, you know, I'm starting to review movies about what's going on right now. Because we've seen this, like I said, at the beginning. And we were talking about this last week. They aren't very creative. They just keep playing the same, yeah. you know, the same thing, right? They- <laughs> Yeah. This, this hunt for Red October is the same thing that's going to be going on, that's going on right now. I mean, I don't know how many people are aware, but over in the Mediterranean, a ship, a submarine, a nuclear submarine that's Russian has just disappeared. And no one knows where it is, which is the exact same plot that we start out with this story. And it's, it's based on a real life story, this hunt for Red October. So here we go again. So, yeah, we get notification on everything actually. well it, isn't that funny Annetta how John Clancy's books his plot lines are used <laughs> it's seemingly countlessly I mean the whole evergreen um, connection I mean I'm sure you mm-hmm. you know this in your I don't know how much you guys have talked about this but for those that don't know evergreen is the name of the sh- what's on the side of the ship I think that's Ever- a shipping company yeah yeah and that's Hillary Clinton's security detail or was her security detail at, you know, and that has to do with the CIA. Yeah. Well, that's their secret service code name. Yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, there's the, the, the call letters for the ship, which are H3RC. Yes. There's the yeah, there's the tugs that came in. And, my gosh, look at the names of those tugboats. You know, the Baraka and uh, Mossad. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's very similar to Mossad. Uh, two of them, one and two. Those are the ones that showed up. <laughs> you know, well, there's so many things. Well, I know. And then you've got the the whole idea of Rotterdam being mm -hmm. the sister city of Baltimore since 1985. Mm -hmm. And then we have, again, the, uh, the Clancy's book, his novel, The Sum of All Fears, Fear, which is, right? yeah, and the idea that there was going to be this dirty nuclear bomb in a football stadium and you know uh, that's going to go going to go up and so was this ship delivering materials for a dirty bomb i mean it's just unbelievable so anetta you know when you talked about this idea of letting us know what they are going to do to us before they do it i've always wondered about that and i'm still trying to figure out like it's almost like a format like it's almost like this polite etiquette <laughs> However strange or oxymoronic that might be, because I'm going to kill you next. But mm -hmm. it also reminds me of the old um, concept of, you know, you have to invite a vampire. I mean, this might be a little different, but you, you like a vampire can't sort of cross your threshold until you invite them in. So it's almost this idea that they they tell you what you're going to what they're going to do, and you have to invite them in. To then do it, meaning we'll just kind of do nothing or we just let things happen or we don't disrupt it. I mean, remember when uh, we had, well, we, you guys had Oli Demigard on and he talked about stepping in on what he thought may have been a huge moment where not only was the pandemic going to hit or at least the media driven frenzy fear of it, but then there was going to be a whole series of cascading events that would freak out most of Europe, and he was able to basically go on many different um, independent radio shows and, I guess, blogs or whatever, and warn everybody off. So it's almost like Oli held up the the garlic clover mm -hmm. or the garlic thing and swung it in the doorway and said, "You're not coming in." Or you know, it. So I, I it's a very interesting thing because there, there's almost like a, a process to this, or or like I say, an etiquette. It's very strange. Yeah. Well, it's a whole. I mean, it is. You know, it's all very, very symbolic. It's all ritualistic. And uh, so if you start to decode what what their idea is of symbology and numerology, oh, my gosh, there's so much. I, you know, I, I probably drive Kadia nuts with all my theories about that. Uh, but we have all of that. And, you know, we've seen lots of things. We've seen the Super Bowl uh, presentations opening of the Olympics. I mean, we saw the coronavirus one. We've seen these things laid out, and it's not just the coronavirus. It's about the child trafficking. Yeah. It's about many, many things that we're now seeing come to light. And you know, we don't have enough time to go into all those on the show, but there's tons of it. I mean, we've had it the whole time. I, I talked about this before about the uh, Wizard of Oz, and and the uh, whole thing that happened in 1933 that basically sold out our country and FDR signed some something it was a proclamation 2040 and it was on March 9th 1933 and we have never been the same we were basically from that point on we were enemy belligerents and we were the collateral for the currency 
And Americans, we don't even know that. We don't even understand how much our, you know, when we think about our freedoms being eroded away, it's been slow, except for things where we get a major event like the Patriot Act or something. But back then, that actually changed not only ours, but Canada had its own version shortly thereafter, and the rest of the world fell into, you know, this is the thing about the U.S. When it does something like that, what you'll see is this domino effect. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's that's problematic. Um, anyway, so we had this huge erosion. But you think about it, Andrew. At this point, that a person who was alive, March 9th, nineteen thirty-three, was an adult that could have, could have understood this, is no longer alive. There's and we're not hearing about this in history books. They're not writing about their evil doings. I mean, the the history is written by the victors, right? And they they write their own version. So we see it from both sides. We see the the premonition or the the warning or the notice of it it's coming and then we see the on the other side the effect of it and it's rewritten again well i think it's a, you know honestly i think it's an it's a it's almost a, to use the the vampiric metaphor it's like sucking your consciousness out you know, it's like literally latching into humanity and sucking the consciousness out and then filling that vessel that human with something else you know let me give you an example and uh, man the time is going so fast i can't believe how i know i do i do have one question that i want to get in before so yeah go ahead uh well really quickly there's a there's a there's a duo here in vancouver vancouver a couple of young guys and a good friend of mine um sent me a video of what they were doing they were they had a bullhorn in vancouver and they were basically driving along one of our streets a couple of our streets and they were like saying yeah I yeah go it. ahead yeah <laughs> yeah and then this fella comes up with his with his bike this this chinese guy comes up with it doesn't matter these chinese and we have many agents here but he comes up to um their their truck and he smashes their window well anyways these two young fellas decided to you know i don't i don't approve of what they did there because i just think people don't need don't it doesn't work really to yeah. just you know yell at people but what they did is that we've had these um, weekly on Sunday freedom rallies here in Vancouver. They're, they're going on across many cities across Canada. It's just the media paints and portrays it as, you know, haters and, and um, anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and terrible people. What these two young men did is they created a march, a quiet march. And I'll give Kinthea the link later. I forgot to send it. Where they referenced the movie, here we go again. They live. John Carpenter's uh, was it 1988? I can't recall. Where there was this alien, you know, infiltration of humanity, and you had to wear a special pair of glasses to see what they actually looked like, and they were like this horrific skeletal-faced thing. It was awful. These people in this rally in Vancouver wore the masks, held up white signs that said, "Obey." Trudeau knows best wear your masks and they marched down the street quietly and people were stopping and video because what they were doing is they were sending the message from that movie they actually took the pop culture because not only when you wore those black glasses could you see the aliens this alien force that had infiltrated humanity but all the newspapers all the magazines all the billboards had single words commands saying obey procreate etc etc it's very interesting so they turned it on its heel and used the pop culture to send a message 
So I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I do love that. And, you know, one of the things that has been going on, and, and this is a, a great example of that, is like, well, so when someone, your enemy, I mean, I, I believe everyone should wear, uh, should read The Art of War and everyone should read The Prince, okay? So I just saying that, just getting that out there. Probably learn to play chess too. would be a good idea. But one of the things when you're looking at this and you've got an enemy that's using something against you, say symbolism and numerology, which is what we've got going on here, uh, you know, without going into all that detail, we've covered quite a bit of that throughout our show and it's easy enough to figure this out. But this uh, idea of, of using, they use that against us. So what if you take that and you one up it and you, you use the same thing, the same tools, the same yeah. weapons. And I, I really, truly, totally believe that's what we're seeing right now. And there's so much more going on, which I can't, you know, I, I can't even begin to get into right now, but there's so much more going on below the surface. And unless yes. you're, you know, you're really paying attention, it doesn't seem like anything. It's like very smooth water on the top. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. this idea of symbology and numerology is part of their thing. And that's how they can calculate. And that's how they can do all this predictive programming, I think. And then there's this idea of time travel, which we're not going to have time to get into right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I know we're about on the break, but I'm just, you know, the question is, and I think Tim kind of referred to it at the beginning, is that, you know, are we in a matrix that just has kind of a clockwork to it and we, we just take our role and we just can't? can't do much or are we in something that where they pull the, the piano strings and we just play or is there more freedom of choice that we're not quite aware of i would go for the last one that's what i'm going to vote for because i believe we have if, if our consciousness is up we have the ability to affect our whole existence our planet everything we know that absolutely we know that from physics we know that from a number of directions so I'm going to say, yes, there's a, there's a direction, and then we can change trajectories every time you have a shift, it's a major shift. So we're at the, we're at the break, and uh, our guest is Andrew Curry, and our show is Homer Simpson's Odyssey, and we'll be back shortly. My approach to it has been, of course, from this academic scientific side, to try to show that from that point of view that even in the in the depths of the of the data that they're presenting they don't have a case they've misrepresented things they've distorted things in the public representations and of course I'm not alone in having come to that conclusion number one there are an increased number of deaths for 2020 but number two these are not caused by COVID-19 they're caused by the biological and psychological effects of the lockdowns themselves because when you lock people down when you wreck an economy you get an increase in heart disease and cancers you get an increase in what is called deaths of despair. Uh, you get suicides, you get drug addiction going up and overdoses killing people. 
And all of these things put together, by my estimate in my research paper, shows that as many as 600,000 people died in 2020 from just these things. Deaths by despair and the effects of the lockdowns and the forced masking. This is Dr. James DeMeo, and I'm speaking to you from the other side of the news, being interviewed by three intelligent people. And I found it to be a very enlightening and helpful and wonderful experience. Your program, I must say, compliments you. You're doing a great job in assisting to get around these barriers of censorship and erasure that the mainstream media is doing. Uh, so it's very important and I congratulate you for the work you're doing. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Tonight's show is called Homer Simpson's Odyssey and our guest is Andrew Curry. I have been listening to you guys talk around a number of points and I, I did want to sort of butt in in one way but on the other hand I wanted to let you talk it out. I have to say that going back to the question of the uh, the evergreen and the the giant phallus in, in the in the in the sort of nautical uh, navigation charts, we say, the other links, connections, and, and dots that you're connecting. I, I did watch Annette the first two, not the first two, but two of the links you put into your section. I think it's entitled something along so along the lines of Evergreen and uh, Hunt for Red October and so on. Is is that the one? So, yes. Okay. <laughs> I have to say that I am open to seeing a lot of connections, but I found those links very difficult to follow, very difficult, those, those videos very difficult to follow, almost unwatchable. In fact, I gave up on the second one halfway through. And I'm not being rude or disrespectful. It's just that I can see a lot of connections and alignments. But at the same time, it, to me, it was just a list of of connections that this this presenter seemed to want to convey um and i i wondered if you know if i see it that way maybe other people see it that way so what i'd like to do is you know we have about half an hour i'd like to develop the conversation a little bit and to dig deeper below the surface and to see if we can come to some conclusion about why why these connections seem to be happening and if somebody is setting them up if somebody is creating these easter eggs these, these connections then who are they and why and so on and so on so um, one, one of the points that you also made was the announcement andrew just before the break you were mentioning that you know it, it could be almost like a sort of an announcement like a like a, you know we are going to do this now, i think if we take that a little bit deeper if if there is this announcement, this global announcement, then to me that means one of two things. Either there are 
more than one they, one more than one group of what, what I tend to call the minority, which means that, you know, team A is making this announcement. And therefore, when we watch it happen in the next few weeks, next few months, next few years, whatever, the actual event, then they can say, well, I, I predicted that because I announced that and team A, you know, scores one point, whatever they do. So either there's multiple minority players uh, sort of, you know, to get the group together. Or the other way it could be is that the the minority is like a shattered mirror. It's maybe a thousand little pieces that just disappear into the background of humanity. But when one of these little uh, pieces of broken glass uh, catches the sun and makes a flash with a glint of the sun, makes a flash, that is the announcement to say we are giving the illusion that we are one big organization. But in fact, it is only a little chink of glass and has no power at all, really. So I don't know if you want to offer any feedback to those points? Well, I would say I look at it from a different point of view. For me, those things make a lot of sense because I've spent a huge amount of time. I have looked at a lot of predictions that have been going on for four years in writing. You can go back and access them. And they're very cryptic. And I am not a person to interpret all those. I have looked at those things, and I do look at how many different things we see that add up to one thing. So there's deltas with time and dates and numerology and things like that. So if you're starting to look at all of that, and you're looking at things that started back in October of 17, so certainly these are predictive in that they're, it, it appears that there's a plan because they're quite accurate in other words, the future is proving, uh, or the past is proving future, or future is proving past, both ways. So for me, I look at it and I say, oh, look, because I've been reading up and looking at all that stuff in advance, when I see it, it's like, oh, yes, well, that does make sense. So, But to tell you what almost 5,000 different things of writing are in one show is a little difficult. I mean, it has been going on. I, I understand um, that. I'd like to answer Tim, I know this is just a, I mean, it's a rabbit hole that goes down into an ant hole that goes down into a termite hole that comes back up and it could go on forever. Let me give you an example, Tim. I, you know, I'm feeling more and more like we really, we literally do live in, you know, to quote someone that we know, a real geometry of life on many, many different levels. So let me give you an example. So a very good friend of mine, he's actually been um, a guest on the show a couple of times. His name is Arun, and he's a good friend of mine, and he's from India originally. And he told me, like his a few, couple, three years ago, his wife's father passed away. Now, his wife's father passed away in, I believe it was Malaysia. He had died of a massive heart attack in, in his hotel room. He had been there on business. Mm -hmm. Well... Yes, in in Shilambu's uh, tradition, in her, she comes from a very small town from southern Italy or southern Italy, southern India. Well, she may come from Italy, <laughs> but um, they have this tradition where, upon your birth, they ink a book of life for you, and that book is shut and sealed until you pass away. Well, they they broke the seal when Shilambu's that's some um, Arun's wife 
when her father passed away. And when they opened up to the chapter of the end of his life, they read it out, you know, I guess amongst those who were at the funeral. And what it read is that it read, you will die in a foreign country by yourself from a massive, you know, problem with your heart mm-hmm. away from your family. Now that is fascinating. But who, who wrote the book, Andrew? Well, that's what we're still trying to find out because I have a good friend. He's a, he's from um, Bulgaria, a very interesting guy. I've spoken about him before. He was a commander in the Navy at the time. And by the way, he recognizes, him and his friends all recognize all the things that are happening right now with mm-hmm. all this COVID stuff. And they see it totally for what it is. It's, it's an incoming communism, right? But anyways, um, he has a, f- a friend who he helped get um, a very high level of, of astrology education in, the Mos- in, a Mo- in Moscow University. And they take it very seriously there. They, they have a very uh, inclusive course. They're very detailed. And this lady who does these predictions, she now works with, she went and got the degree and now she works with all kinds of companies and stuff. And it's the same sort of thing. Like if you give her exacting times and, and the question, she can go to whatever her system is that she's looking at that looks at the geometry of, of your life. And she comes up with this eerily, it's not her. She's not a medium, right? Maybe, maybe she does have some psychic innards going on, but it's definitely a system she's following. And it eerily comes close. Now we're trying to find out who it is that wrote the book. Like we're still trying to discover that it's a little hard because it's an, it's an ancient tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that our, what I think is, is that we're, we, we are in a system that kind of gives us a role, you know, like you're born with a certain type of genetic, you know, flavoring and whatever your background is. A a predetermined course. To, to a degree, set of milestones, maybe, or I, I think so. And then you know, then you would say, well, then how did Shalambu's father? He had no choice to die at that time. Well, perhaps, and perhaps you know, here's the question: Would you want to know when you die? Would your life be more valuable and more constructive if you knew when you were going to go? Would it help you to know your bigger? stumbling blocks in your life and you, and how to negotiate it better if you knew ahead of time it's it's a very strange thing right because how much of it is our is our input how much we put into it and how much of it is like you say predetermined a plan and what if these splinter groups or these 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 powers that ought not to be have understood this to a degree and are guiding our consciousness through their predictive programming even through the creativity of the writers from, let's say, the lone gunman who just was like, well, if we can figure it out, there must be someone in government who can. And what if we're seeing that process, but they just have a high level of magic or magique of, of understanding how ritual works. My concern is what it is that they're pointing us to and what it is they're ushering or trying to usher in. And I... I, I don't know if you want to go down that road. It's a little bit. Absolutely. Of... Absolutely. I mean, I, I really want to dig deeper into all of this because, yeah. you know, it, to me, it is an absolutely fascinating subject. And it's not that I, you know, maybe I came across a little bit hard on an just now. It's not that I do not see some connections. I do see a lot of connections, but I just don't see the connections 
that to be realistic or, or many of them being realistic in, in in the particular links I saw earlier earlier yesterday evening so you know my point is there are many connections I mean, for example if, if we say this you know there are many easter eggs planted into lots of movies and, and I, I do see that you know what goes around comes around but like I was outlining in, in the opening is you know which comes first which is the chicken which is the egg does the idea get planted into the script and people are then programmed and therefore live that script out or you know is it the fact that the script is created and it is simply a matter of defining vocabulary which people therefore perceive their reality using that vocabulary therefore you have what people say are coincidences and you know are we writing or are we reading the script i mean that that that's something you know are we capable of writing a script or, or do we just simply follow the river and we have no choice um these are a lot of questions i'd like to 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 dig into yeah and i don't know if we're gonna get that done but i i told i know it's a hard one because let me let me put it this way i think we do live I, i've always pondered this I, I even when i was younger when i was little um you know like i i, I just i always had this thought i go well how much of this is like we say is is our choice and how much of it is already gonna be you know, spun into place, spun into place. And I'm wondering if part of um, liberation, if part of liberation from this system, if you know, I, I'm, I'm skirting around the issue here, but I, cause I want to pop up to something more. Mm, please I'm, do. I'm wondering if part of this matrix, like let's just call it for what we're basically saying it is, is if we come to understand our true nature as human beings, our true spiritual nature, and I mean that in a much more, you know, um, you know, not with labels or cubby holes or um, even traditions, but in the true essence of what it means to be human, like right at its core, would we have the ability to break the matrix and truly be free of all of this? I, I, I know that's a huge monstrous question, but I wonder if we're coming close to that. And again, these nefarious groups these these well psychic suckers or blood suckers or consciousness suckers vampires are just so frightened of us coming to that realization that we can come into our own in extraordinary ways and we're close i i, I, I just sorry i think there's a lot of that absolutely and I, I think that to to echo what you're saying and support what you're saying, I think that if none of this was happening, if you know we're just going through a normal Easter weekend and everything <laughs> is like it was one or two or not one, but say two or three years ago, then how many people would have actually been challenged enough to actually think outside of the box and to actually, you know, reflect and on themselves and and to ask themselves where they stand in the universe, what is the life's purpose, and so on and so on. So I think, you know, it takes a challenge in order to to evolve. And yeah. while we may not like what we see on the horizon, you know, would we have done it collectively? Would humanity have done it collectively without this? I don't think so, Tim. I, I you know, for years I have been quietly bemoaning. I mean, this is my personal reflections, just like anything is, right, from our, our own center point. 
that it just feels like the world for years leading up. I just I had this feeling that we've been just on a gerbil. I used to have when I was a kid. I used to have a gerbil, right? I used to have a couple of gerbils, and they'd run around the tubes. They had these all these long tubes, and they chew eat every you know the edges, and then they would go to their main area, and then they would jump on the gerbil wheel, and I'd watch them spin around, and you know sometimes that wheel would get kind of creaky, and and eventually the darn thing would fall apart. You have to replace it, and it, it it's almost felt like we've been just on that gerbil wheel, just spinning the same old thing over and over, and, you know slightly nuanced ways maybe, but just spinning again and again, and it's like we. It's like more than entropy. It's like it's just things are just – it's not even – it's it's an entropy that's still moving, but it's just decaying at the same time. That's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. But I I, I want to share uh, – I hope I can share a couple more things. I, I, I really want to share something that I experienced a whole number of – kind of may I, guys? Like I know we're getting close to the end, but can I can I do it? Can I share? Sure. <laughs> okay. It's a personal experience. It's – um. So my my sons they play baseball and one of my younger sons he was in a what's a baseball school which is like a one night a week thing where they go training and in the fall I would take him and we weren't allowed into the building to watch him play and practice and stuff because of the whole covid thing so I sat in the huge field and watched you know just sat in the huge field and and um read my book and it was getting cooler it was one of those cooler autumn evenings where the sun is dropping but there's still activities there and this one particular night there was these young people playing volleyball out in the field there was a whole bunch of ball fields and parks and stuff and i remember sitting there reading and i suddenly was overcome with this extraordinary feeling of elation and peace all at the same time and i i called my wife and i said anna we've won and she says, what do you mean? And I said, I am getting a sense that I have forgotten since I was a little kid. And I said, it is, I, we've gone through extraordinary experiences together as a, as a husband and wife with our birth of our children, many ups and downs and all kinds of stuff. But the essence of really feeling the moment, I said, I'm feeling it right now. I said, Anna, something has changed. Something so verdant and green has taken root. And the power that it's reaching deeply into is strengthening by the day. And I said, we've won. I said, the only thing we need to do now is realize it. And all of this terrible lies will just evaporate in a moment. I just, I, and I, I was, I could feel the shivers up my back. I could hear the, the, the sounds of the, the kids playing volleyball. I could hear the birds. I could smell the smell of, of, of a cool, crisp evening. I could see the colors more clearly. And I wasn't high. I really was just sitting there reading a book. And Tim, I was, and Annette and Kathia, I was overwhelmed with this sense of like, oh my gosh, we're here. We've come home and we're ready to go. We're really ready to go. I just wanted to share that. I, it's something that I felt and, I, and I've, and I, it's my personal feeling, but it, it was something that um, felt really real to me. Well, I can certainly relate to the, uh, the electrical sort of shivers, cold shivers or, or positive vibes that go up your, your back. I mean, that, that's something where I think you kind of park yourself in a, in a, a milestone in, in life and say, I'm at the right place at the right time. This event means something. It's significant. So maybe it's a gateway or portal. Maybe it's just stepping off a milestone. But that's great news. I mean, I have to say that this whole charade of this COVID pandemic business is, is I, I have no idea how it can even stay up anymore because 
it, it's just being stretched so so far and so far apart that you know it, it's just going to collapse and, and very very soon. Do you mind if I jump in here for a moment? You know, Andrew, you prepared this other wonderful item. I wish you would go ahead and share with us before the show ends. Yeah, sure, Cynthia. So my item four is called AC Blue Butterflies, and it's a poster I created with just um, this theme of these blue butterflies that I keep seeing everywhere. Very quickly, uh, the first image is a Instagram post by Grimes. Now, she is the partner, the current partner of Elon Musk, who is of SpaceX fame and you know wants to build a colony on Mars and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, his, his partner, Grimes, uh, who happens to be from Vancouver, from where I'm at, actually, she promoted this artist, and I'm going to butcher his name, is Dao, Dao Leonard. And in this image, I guess it's his artwork, it's one of these strange pillars that we saw appearing around the planet. And this one in particular kind of looks like it's maybe the Utah one because it's sort of embedded in this sort of pinkish rock face, rock these rocks. And there's all these pink pigs flying around and these these cherubs. Well, the thing that sort of stood out to me were these blue butterflies, because if you come out of that, I found this um, video, and it was about the time when Perseverance first landed. And people will take some of the NASA video and make their own little videos. And this one group out of Spain, they call themselves Camingat, I think is what they call themselves. Anyways, they created this video called Mind-Blowing Discovery of Perseverance on Mars. And they they took the NASA video of, you know, the artist video, the projection of what the Perseverance would look like going around on Mars. So it's a, it's a CG film. And they started putting these pink butterflies in the image. So the, the rover's wandering around, and there's all these um, blue butterflies. Sorry, I said pink. Blue butterflies. And I just thought to myself, what is it with these blue butterflies? So then I found another link, and it was to Miley Cyrus, who is one of these uh, American pop idols, pop stars. I think she began as a as a country and the Western singer, I think, and then moved on to pop stardom. And in this image of her, there is this blue butterfly. And so this has been driving me nuts. Again, going down this rabbit hole of what this butterfly means, well – Right away, the butterfly could reference the whole idea of the the monarch butterfly, right? This this idea of mind control, and you know, all these these pop artists are controlled by nefarious forces by the elite. To you know, they're basically given carte blanche to be you know do their creative stuff, but within a framework of this sort of you know strange intent by the elite to send all these weird negative strange messages again these easter eggs etc okay that's true well we have this situation in seattle in at the beginning of 2021 where there was this incredible light show so because of covid19 nobody was allowed to go outside and celebrate new year's so at least not officially so what happened is the new york or i'm sorry the um seattle state of seattle had this special show, and I'm going to read to you uh, about what it was about. So 
from the official website of the Space Needle. So it was the Space Needle. It's a very tall tourist place in, in Seattle. You can go up and to the top of the Space Needle and, and have um, dinner and all that. I think there's like – you can go and observe Seattle from the very high point, et cetera, et cetera. The event was described as follows. The Space Needle ushered in 2021 with a sensational and innovative new show for T-Mobile, New Year's at the Needle. This year's celebration featured striking visuals in a wondrous display of digital effects engineered to bring viewers bigger thrills than ever before, all safely from the comfort of home. Now listen to this. Using sky mapping technology and real video footage, the Space Needle was layered with immersive digital artistic expressions to create an illusion of color and, and wonder. In reality, the tower was lit in T-Mobile's distinctive magenta color, but on the screen, viewers were dazzled by a virtual spectacular surrounding the Space Needle and the skies above. So it wasn't really happening in real time. If you were looking at the Space Needle out your window, there was not all these holographic images going around. But through the TV or the website or however they broadcasted this, it looked like this amazing holographic light show. Uh there were no in-person festivities and no events at Seattle Center on the New Year's Eve. The show could only be seen on your screen. So um, there was a whole series of images that happened, uh, but it was really kind of creepy. At one point, there was what looked like human DNA projecting up from the Space Needle. And then there was cell division. And then there was a giant cocoon. And then to my number five, there was this giant blue butterfly that just suddenly kind of opened its wing at the top of, of the tower. Eventually, there was more images, uh, with one being the solar system literally looking like it was controlled by little um, apertures, little arm apertures at a central point, and they're kind of going around in clockwork. Again, almost like a, a controlled matrix or a, a geometry or something, right? A, almost like a Masonic projection of how everything works in clockwork. And then there was um, these human figures that looked like children spiraling around the, the Space Needle playing and, thing, you know, fireworks were going off. And then the strangest thing happened. The music became very ominous. There was this kind of purple ooze coming out of the top of the Space Needle. Mm. And then, then these – yeah, then these two giant heads emerged, which I don't have here in my image. But these two giant heads emerged way up in the sky, again, on screen because it's virtual. And then a great hand, a single hand, rises up into the night sky, and then the show ends. And, you know, I thought about this, and I, because I, I, I read about this article in the Vigilant Citizen, uh, very excellent uh, uh, online uh, blog, very good, vigilantcitizen.com. They, they talked about it. And they think it, it has a very, you know, evil, satanic import to it. I see it as definitely, um, when, you, when you're putting up DNA and you're showing a cocoon and a transformation of a cocoon to a butterfly, you're definitely showing some sort of transformation. And isn't it interesting mm -hmm. that those that imagery came before the vaccines arrived? But and, that first part sounded so, like, pleasing and spectacular, and then it takes this dark twist. Well, it does. And, and we go from all this genetic, changing this transformation into this blue butterfly that signals this whole big change and then we have these like i say these ominous heads which could be either are we creating a new humanity or are we welcoming 
a new god or gods like what what exactly or or am i just you know layering too much meaning on this but all of this did you say it ended with a hand a hand reaching up because like i've used the hand in my paintings many times to represent the creative force for me you know you use your hand to create with so i mean symbolically when i see the hand I, i think of the creative force but these heads it sounds creepy well yeah, and then it reminded me I, – I looked at this giant butterfly and it reminded me of something I had seen beho- before. And then I realized if you look at my number six, it comes – this memory comes from a movie from 1989 called The Abyss, mm. which I believe was a, a James Cameron film. And the alien on the left-hand side in my image is a, a production design of the alien. And on the right-hand side is the digital, you know, effect alien from the movie. And it was all done underwater. That's why it's called the abyss. It was like uh, they met these aliens who were literally floating and flapping almost like giant um, jellyfish or amoebas or butterflies because they almost look butterfly. And they're blue and they're flapping away. And so, again, it's like where are these (laughs) messages coming from? Am I just overextending? But so then – I started to look at um, a really curious uh, commercial that sort of we started to see at the end of um, 2020, and it was created by um, a Canadian actor named uh, actually Ryan Reynolds. We know who he is, He's uh, but he's from my, my city, area called Kitsilino, and it was his production company that came up with this ad, uh, which basically is the devil <laughs> – this giant red guy, he's in, he's in hell. And uh-huh. then he get he get yeah, he gets a text and he gets a text to meet up with this woman. So the ad is for a dating service, right? And oh. yeah. And <laughs> really? the, the commercial, yeah. And the commercial is called. Oh, match gee, made I want to date the devil. <laughs> yeah. Well, the commercial is called a, a, a match made in hell, Cynthia. And so the devil. <laughs> yeah. And he looks like Tim Curry's, uh, darkness figure from the uh movie uh gosh now the name escapes me but it was a movie from the 80s i believe now i'm missing the name of it, but uh it it's a uh, it was tim curry it was directed by ridley scott legend it was legend it was with um oh the american actor what's his name that does all the mission impossible films what's his name tom oh, cruise tom tom names. tom cruise yeah he was in it he was very young and that devil figure there called – I believe he's called Darkness. Same thing, giant black red – or black horns, the red skin, the long chin, the very deep voice, you know, overly mus- musculature. So in this commercial, the devil meets his partner under a bridge and guess what her name is? 2020. Yeah. 2020. 2020? That's so her they, name? That's her name. So they go. So it's it's a sort of dark humor thing where the devil meets twenty twenty and says. And at the very end, they, I mean, they go into an empty stadium. They're having a picnic. They go in there into a fitness place. She tries to drag him into a church. Of course, he won't go in. And it's all this, you know, it's done in this sort of weird, playful way. And at the end, they're sitting at a bench and going, "I don't, I'd never want this year to end." And the meteorites are starting to fall, you know, into the city. It's very creepy, right? And I, you know, Ryan Reynolds, he's he's very. Um, you know, he's very cheeky, right? But these themes, this theme of this sort of devil thing, Eurovision 
is an international song contest, okay? And it's a staple of the entertainment industry, and it's been so for decades. It comes out of Europe, and it, it includes over 50 countries, and it's watched by hundreds of millions of viewers every year. And in fact, back in 2019, the Eurovision final had blatant symbolism, some believe, through a song done by Madonna showing oh, right. this. Yes, you remember that? So the, I don't mm. have the image here, but it shows basically her breathing a breath of death and all these masked figures suddenly fall down dead on the stage. And they're, in the background is projected images of um, the Statue of Liberty all kind of crumbling and falling apart. And so many thought that that was like um, a signaling again forward of like the pandemic. You know, obviously mm -hmm. no one knew at the time. Well, this glorifying the death and evil part. It, exactly. Mean, well, this new, this new, this Eurovision uh, performance this year included a Greek singer named Elena Tsiagrino. I'm probably saying her name wrong. And she performed a song. So she, she was highlighted. She performed a song called, and this was in 2021, early 2021, called El Diablo. Well, mm. yeah, and it caused all kind of controversy. The Greek Orthodox Church was went crazy. There was all kinds of protests, and it was literally she. I mean, they they were covering it up, saying, "Oh no, 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 she's just um, she's just um talking about bad boys." But no, she's singing about the devil and basically wanting a relationship with him, etc. So we have that. Then we had this, um, you know, of course we have the Super Bowl, which has uh, this this descending character at the beginning coming out of the sky with red eyes. It looks like it's coming down from above some sort of dark angel. And then we have all the imagery from there, uh, you know, with the singer um, and his name escapes me. At the moment he's a Canadian singer, uh, but he, there's this big choir of, of these sort of, uh, you know, faceless characters and on and on it goes. It's a very dark symbol symbology again opening with this figure that's descending down and the singer's association with satanism is well known well we come now just in this last week actually on palm sunday with a another singer and his name is uh little nas x now he is an american uh rap hip-hop guy uh he made his fame on tiktok and he had a video that was basically published i believe uh it was before palm sunday but the video is called um what was it called it's called um oh here it is montero call me by your name and what it's about is he plays a this sort of like uh, angelic figure that's in heaven and gets basically seduced by this snake-like creature. It almost looks alien. And they have sort of this homoerotic moment. Now, he, he's an openly gay uh, performer. But anyways, he, he goes down a pole. I mean, literally a pole, like a stripper's pole, all the way down to hell. And when he meets Satan, he does a lap dance. A very, very uncomfortable lap for the viewer lap dance. Now, this singer... Little Nas X actually says he gears his work towards children. So no, yes. So what is what happened is on Palm Sunday it was announced that Little Nas X would release a devil-themed 
not only music video, but a shoe, a running shoe, okay, with a company called MSCHF, so Mischief. And what they were called were Satan shoes. There were going to be only 660 pairs made, okay? And they were at a cost On of like Easter they're releasing this show. It it was Two? done this it was done it was announced on Palm Sunday and then it happened on Tuesday. It's called it's caused a huge controversy. Like basically it's been shut down and it was a refurbished Nike shoe. And at first Nike says, "Oh, we have nothing to do with this." And they did nothing. But suddenly when social media blew up and even um governor um Christy Nome went nuts. So uh, everything just blew up about this. Nike suddenly says, oh, we're taking Mischief, the company that made these shoes, to court. Now, let me tell you a little bit about these shoes. These shoes not only had a pentagram on their lace, but there's a little section in the sole of the shoe, like a little empty section that has, I believe it was either six, I can't remember how many ounces, but a whole, it has basically a red dye in it with one drop of human blood. So there oh was human Yes, there was human blood in the sole of the shoe. And who are they bleeding for that blood? Isn't that like when uh, they had put out a tennis shoe called Incubus? I know it's supposed to be after the band, but nobody realized that what Incubus was, an Incubus that happened and the Incubus is the opposite of the succubus. The succubus is the female who supposed to have sex with men at night when they're asleep. And the incubus has, is the, the male equivalent that has sex with women at night when they're asleep. And they put this shoe out called incubus. I know there's a band called incubus, but nobody mm -hmm. questioned that. And they pulled it once they got complaints about that. Wow. Well, they also had... They also came out with a Jesus shoe a few years ago, and I haven't looked into that, but um, uh, they did that too. But so, like I said, Nike at first said, oh, we don't have anything to do with this, but you could see plainly the logo was there, and they said nothing. And then not until things blew up did they suddenly say, oh, we're now going to sue. No, the whole, the whole thing – what I'm trying to say is that there, there is this open, flagrant welcoming of this satanic figure. Now, you know, from a Judeo-Christian point of view, that's what we call it, right? Well, you know, another thing that comes to my mind is like this this has been being set up in motion for so long. I remember like when suddenly it started being so fashionable to be wearing all black, the artists started all wearing black. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, it's the coolest thing to be wearing black. It's, there was like some yeah. shift that happened. And, and uh, you know, my son, my youngest son, as when he was a teenager, it was the punk rock. And I used to go pick him up from the punk rock club. And it was really strange in there. It was very strange in there. Yeah, well, and they I, call that gothic or something like goth. that. Yeah. 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 I could, it's like I, the glamorization of the dark forces. That, that's right. I could see a big controversy with that the Jesus shoe and somebody saying, I'm going to put a Jesus up. <laughs> By the way, everyone, this is our wonderful Keith Morgan who's speaking. He's our sound engineer, and we love it when he jumps in. 
this is what I mean is that there's almost this just wide open gate to allow this imagery and and it's not life affirming this is my point like you could look at ryan reynolds stuff and go oh come on he's just having some fun it's just kind of cute and it's no big deal and in isolation maybe some of these things would be kind of like i guess so but when you sort of collectively look at them and then the widespread influence it has on kids kids especially young people it's to me it's really disturbing so if we are looking at it, some sort of consciousness manipulation, and if we're looking at something taking, trying to take away, or, or at least avert our attention and take over our consciousness, what are they trying to fill it in with? Uh, mm-hmm. I, that, that's, my, that's my point. It's, it's just very, very disturbing. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that forefront. It's certainly something to think about, contemplate. And I like leaving it with that question. What are they wanting to put in its place? Why don't we be the ones to choose what we're going to put in its place and not let them, you know, by default, if we do nothing, then we are letting them. So we have to be more conscious and make those choices, what we want to fill our thoughts with. For me, I always see the artist as the visionary who goes forth and captures visions. And maybe it's remote viewing of events that are already happening, and maybe it's co-creating, or maybe it's a mixture of both. I uh, also added to my links the opening ceremony from the 1992 Olympic Games. Tell me if you look at that and you don't see the coronavirus there. So, you know, I want to come back to what Andrew was saying about that special moment. I think we each have a moment where we touch the core of our being, Here's to the human spirit, the human divine spirit, the eternal spirit, however you want to phrase it. I vote for that, and I say that we live out of time, and we live in time. So our infinite core being is out of time, and maybe that's what we're tapping into with our artistic vision. I know that artists are always seeing something in the future, and some people think the story is being fed to them. I don't know. Maybe they're just tapping in. So, Annetta, would you like to say anything? I've been having those feelings like we're coming into a new space, a new time, a new consciousness, and um, how we perceive how we're getting there might be different, but I think it's still the whole planet is going through this evolution. And I don't think, you know, when we have the show next week, we'll be in the same position as this week, and on it goes. But... I feel very positive that we're going to have some really wonderful stuff happening very shortly. And call me crazy, but that's what I'm going to bet on. And that's the way I see it. And, uh, you know, I hope that I'm right. I, I hope that we are, are going to see some, some wonderful things happening. And I feel, I feel very good about it. That's kind of what I have to say. Andrew, any closing thoughts? So this is from my friend, um, Paul Frost. He wrote this, and I really wanted to share it tonight with everyone. It's called Humanity's Situation, and it's from April 2021. Things seem to be going from bad to worse, and I have been contemplating what one should be doing. It seems to me that the one big thing that the elites do not want to happen is for people to wake up spiritually. And with that in mind, I wonder if the whole COVID charade is a huge distraction. And what I mean by that is that even those who are 
spending all their energy trying to expose the lies are being distracted from their true purposes as humans here on earth to evolve spiritually. Now, I am not suggesting that things should go entirely unchallenged, but I do see an awful lot of good people whose mental and spiritual state is becoming darkened through being obsessed with the COVID agenda. I suggest that the elites are very happy that there are activists working against the government agendas. After all, governments are only pawns in their game, too. And if we create an us-and-them situation with people at each other's throats, it only serves the elite's purpose. I would even go so far as to say that some of the anti-mask lockdown vaccination movements may have been set up by the elites to create division, and specifically to keep people trapped in the game of illusory ego theater. The elites do not care what people believe as long as they believe something. This creates conflict among groups with differing beliefs, conflict that feeds the negativity and suffering among the mass of humanity that the forces of darkness thrive upon. For me, the primary purpose, indeed the whole point of human life, is spiritual awakening and evolution. If we lose sight of that, then the dark forces have won, no matter how successful we are in defeating government restrictions in the legal and social arenas. An awakened person is free in spirit, even if their physical life is restricted. In fact, the greatest activism at this very dark point in human history may be focusing our attention on spiritual evolution, because that is ultimately how the forces of evil will be defeated. Humans need to be aware that the game is being played out at a much higher level than even many conspiracy theorists may be aware of. Who wrote that, Andrew? My, my friend Paul Frost. Okay, well, thank you. Some uh, significant words in there. Thank you very much. Well, guys, we're out of time. It's gone like a rocket. Uh, Andrew, it's great to have you on again. Oh, and thank you. Look forward to catching up some more soon. <laughs>